0: We are continuing in our study of the Holy Spirit. And as we get back into that study, we of course are looking at the gifting of the Spirit. And today we're going to look at a particular gift and just see where we are with that. As we go through the different gifts of the Spirit, they're often called, the ones that we're looking at are often called motivational gifts. And as we look at those, you might sit through one of the messages and go, that isn't my gift. Fair enough, right? We don't all have all the gifts, most likely, and we don't have all the same gifts. But it's good for us to be acquainted with gifts that we don't have because they are meant for our edification. And we need to understand them so that we receive them well and so that we Know and experience the ministry that God wants us to have from all of these varied gifts. So don't check out if you don't have one of the gifts, but learn from what we're going to study together and maybe think about how you could engage someone who has the gift that you don't so that it can help you be more complete in your journey and in your experience with Jesus. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I want to go back to Romans 12 this morning and ask you to return there as Dan read those words for us earlier. These are important words and I want us to frame our study today as well as the studies to follow with these words. Remind ourselves when Paul says in verse 1 of Romans 12, therefore brothers and sisters in view of the mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed. And, and we might literally translate that as being, stop being conformed to this age. Stop being conformed and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, I want to pause and just reflect on some theology with you for a minute concerning the Holy Spirit. If we misunderstand this, I think we could get some things wrong about the gifts. And if not the gifts, we could definitely get some things wrong about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives otherwise. I don't think it's by accident that Paul prefaces his writing concerning the giftedness of the Spirit, these motivational gifts, with the words that he gives us in verses 1 and 2 that emphasize the believer giving himself fully and completely to God. And you're probably wondering, why is that significant? I think it's significant. I believe it's significant because of teaching today that is erroneous concerning the Holy Spirit. It is true that as we gather, the church gathers, we do not have to invite the Holy Spirit to be among us because he is in us. Amen? So he is here. God is here. God doesn't need an invitation to be here. The Holy Spirit is already here. So so to invite him is either to forget that he's already here or to buy into some erroneous teaching that we need to somehow awake him so that he will show up and be here. When you are dealing with omnipresent beings, just hang with me. I know this is going to sound really seminarish to you. That's not even a word. But when you're dealing with omnipresent beings, which the Father is, right? That is a characteristic of deity. And we understand the Trinity concept is that these three beings are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent, among other things. But they share in the quality of essence of deity, so they're all omnipresent. All of them are. There has never been a time where they have not filled the entire expanse of whatever has existed. Even before the foundations of the world, these beings filled the expanse of it. They were omnipresent. They continue to be omnipresent. The the obvious conclusion of that then is that they don't need an invitation to be anywhere because they are there. And because they transcend time in their omnipresence, we would say they are eternal. They're not bound by a clock or by time or by space. They already exist in the future because of that, that's part of their eternality. So when we talk about the future and needing to trust, we truly trust in one who has already been there, who already knows what is coming and who fills the expanse of everything that we know as reality at all times and even beyond what we know as reality at all times because of the omnipresence. So God is everywhere. The Spirit is everywhere. And while we gather here and we want the Spirit to have full reign and work in us and through us as we gather, we don't need to invite him here. We we should not forget that he's already here because he is in us, as is the presence of the Father and the Son while not being seen, they are present. And we can rest in that and enjoy that reality this morning. And in view of that, I also want to say that as we look at the concepts taught in Romans 12, the emphasis here at the beginning of us giving ourselves wholly and completely to God as believers indicates that that is the transaction that needs to take place before we can fully utilize the giftedness, and that is critical. There are a lot of believers today who will spend their entire Christian journey trying to get more of God and more of the Spirit. That's their whole quest. I need more of God. I need more of the Spirit so we're going to invite God here, we're going to invite the Spirit here and we just need to to have the right environment and atmosphere so that we can receive more of the Spirit. Let me say to you that every good gift that the Father gives is complete. There's nothing incomplete about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in you if you're a believer. When God gives you something, he gives you that fully and completely. He's not holding it back so that you figure out some mystical secret. He'll then unlock whatever it is he's got the spirit in and give you more. It's not how it works. God gives us all of the spirit that we will ever get at the moment that we believe. That's the indwelling presence of the spirit. And I don't think it's any accident that Paul stresses us giving ourselves to God so that we can fully utilize the giftedness because that is the real need of the hour. The real need of the hour is not for us to get more of the Spirit or more of God. The real need of the hour is for the Spirit to get more of us. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be, stop being conformed to this age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So as we continue to go through this study on the Spirit and look very specifically at the giftedness, the motivational giftedness that the Spirit gives to us as He wills, as the Scripture teaches us, Let us focus on giving more of ourselves through this study, more control, dying to self even more daily, relinquishing control of our life, and making sure that God is completely in control so that his spirit can work in us and through us and around us to the fullest potential possible, bringing him maximum glory. Now, God will get glory regardless, but... We can have the blessed joy of cooperating with that if we present ourselves. So, I want you to think about God getting more of you as we go through the study. Today, we're talking about the gift of prophecy. We find here in our list, verse 6, if you're still in Romans 12. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And the first one is listed as prophecy, the prophetic gift. We're going to talk about that in a little different way maybe than what some of you initially think, but I think it'll make sense to you as we go along in our study. As we look at the specific giftedness, I just want to take a moment to provide something for you that may be helpful, I hope it's helpful, for you trying to discern maybe what gifts you have. And we can't give a full test. How many of you, by the way, have ever taken a full spiritual gift test? Right? and they can be kind of long, so we're not doing that this morning. However, I would recommend that you go online and, and find one that will assess your giftedness and take it and see what the results are. If you have questions about that, we're happy to guide you through the process. But I can give you something that has been effective that's very simple, I think, that's very much rooted in real-life experience that I hope will be helpful. Usually, the events of life that demand or provoke a response are good indicators of what giftedness you may have, right? Something happens and how you respond to that something could reveal a lot about how you're gifted. It's how you contribute to the situation. So this is kind of a funny example. Let's use an example. Let's, let's talk about Christmas. We just came through the season, right? And probably most of us, if not all of us, were we're enjoying some kind of a meal with family or friends, right? And I don't know what you have on Christmas Day, if you have the traditional whatever that is, or if you have other things. But let's say we just had a giant meal and we've taken a little breather, right? Because none of us eat dessert right after the meal, right? Nobody does that. Some of us eat dessert first because we know the rapture could happen at any moment, but none of us eat it right after we've just had this feast, right? So we've let the food settle, as they say, whatever that means. And now we're ready for dessert. And someone in the family, we're all hoping it's not us, right, is transporting the dessert from the kitchen and drops it on the floor right in front of everyone in the dining room. What just went through your head? It might be an indication of your giftedness. Can I walk you through the scenario? Okay, Let's look at this. So the one with the gift that we are talking about today, the one who likes to provide correction, right? the prophet speaking truth, this person says, that's what happens when you're not careful. I may or may not have said that in the past. That's what happens when you're not careful, why? Because the motivation of the prophet is to correct the problem. You weren't careful. You need to be careful. You've just ruined dessert, forgetting the fact that nobody needed those extra calories anyway. This is what happens when you're not careful. Ah, You might have the gift of prophecy. The server, the one who has the gift of service, might say, let me help you clean it up. Right? They're running for the towel or whatever it is. Hopefully, it's not something terrible that's all over the carpet Let me help you clean it up. Why? Because the server has a motivation to fulfill a need and serve. (laughs) The teacher, the one who has the gift of exhortation, would say, the reason that the dessert fell is because it was too heavy on one side. Genius, right? Why? Because the teacher may be motivated to discover why it happened. The exhorter would say something like this. Next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. Their motivation is to correct the problem. The giver, the one who has the gift of giving might say, I'll be happy to go get a new dessert. Just wait a few minutes. I'll be right back. They want to give to a tangible need. The one with the gift of organization or administration might say, Jim, you get the mop. Sue, please uh, help pick it up. Mary, help me fix another dessert. Organizing the solution. Achieving the immediate goal of the group in an organized fashion. And then you have the gift of mercy, who everyone loves, this one, right? The gift, especially the one who drops the dessert. Mercy would say, don't feel bad. It could have happened to anyone. To relieve embarrassment might be the motivation. So, this is not a foolproof way of telling your spiritual gift, but it's interesting to me how the events of life, as we respond to them, especially events like this, may be able to show us how we're gifted. We'll respond in a way in which we can help the situation. Think about it and see where you are gifted. As we consider the prophetic gift today, we would say prophets are those who speak the truth Many people have the understanding that prophecy is telling the future. The more general meaning for this term is forth telling or speaking forth truth not telling the future as in foretelling. It speaks of proclaiming the principles of God which are true now and forever. The genuine prophet of God must speak the truth. He cannot remain silent in the face of a lie or any form of deceit or in the face of an error against God's word or God's nature. The prophet is very often a person who sees things in black and white, right or wrong terms. He has a strong motivation to set things right or to the church back on the right track and speaks boldly in the presence of injustice. A pastor or preacher who declares the Bible can be considered a prophesier in that he is speaking forth the counsel of God. With the completion of the New Testament canon, prophesying changed from declaring new revelation to declaring the completed revelation that God had already given. Jude 3 speaks of the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, the faith to which we hold has been settled forever and does not need the addition or refinement that comes from extra-biblical revelations. Also note the transition from prophet to teacher in 2 Peter 2.1. There were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Peter indicates that the Old Testament age had prophets, whereas the church will have teachers. The spiritual gift of prophecy in the sense of receiving new revelations from God to be proclaimed to others ceased with the completion of the Bible. During the time that prophecy was a revelatory gift, it was to be used for the edification, exhortation, and comfort of men. The modern gift of prophecy, which is really more akin to teaching, still declares the truth of God. What has changed is that the truth of God today has already been fully revealed in His Word, while in the early church it had not yet been fully revealed. So that's the lens through which we will look at this spiritual gift. What I want to look at and study with you today in detail is the Apostle Peter as an example of this prophetic gift gift, the gift of prophecy, the idea of speaking truth, of standing up against error, and of providing correction when necessary, speaking the truth of God. We find it in Peter's life and ministry in this sense of confrontation of erroneous conclusions. We come to Acts chapter 2 to see an example of that. But Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk. This was the manifestation of a sign gift of of speaking in tongues, as you know, in this passage. And uh, the people who were participating in this spirit-generated and motivated giftedness were being accused of, of being under the influence of alcohol. So Peter sees some going to and and jumping to wrong conclusions, and he commands the respect and attention of the crowd, and he begins to speak truth, which was in conflict to what these people were believing, to the assumptions they had made. The prophetic one will do that. He will have, some of you look at that and go, there is no way that I could have done that. Okay, then you probably don't have the gift of prophecy. We all know Peter had no hesitation with speaking out. In fact, he did a little too much, didn't he? So he stands up and addresses this. They're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. What's wrong with you people? <laughs> on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he goes on to, to quote those things. We will not read that entire passage, but we do have here an example of Peter being in a situation where he just couldn't keep silent because people had come to a wrong conclusion. Really, if you look at it, because of the context and what was happening here, this was a very gospel-centered situation, wasn't it? And when you recall, the reason that the sign gifts were given was to, to give credibility to the messenger to validate the message and what was the purpose of all of that so that people would hear and understand and believe the gospel. There's a lot at stake here. And if there were people who were jumping to a conclusion that these who were speaking the gospel because of the very thing that was supposed to validate their message, that those people were now being discredited as being drunks, the gospel was at stake in this context. And Peter saw the seriousness of that, and so he steps up and he says, wait a minute, you're, you're thinking wrongly here. Let me correct you. And so he does that. The one with the gift of prophecy will do that. They'll be willing to do that. They'll have the courage, the boldness, and the ability to do that. Some of us, if we were in that situation, and we stood up to correct that large group of people, we would just freeze, right? We wouldn't even know what to say. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. Not everyone is gifted to do that, but Peter was. And the church needs giftedness like that. You, you may see yourself functioning like this even in real life, right? At your job, your occupation, or with family or friends. And while there is a right and a wrong way to practice the gift, just like all the gifts, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, practicing the gift is essential. We need people who will do this. So don't muffle your giftedness if this is the gift that you have. We need this. The church needs this, and so do others around you. Well, there's another thing that Peter does to show us that he has this gift. He, he gets involved in exposing lies, and we have an example of that in Acts chapter 5. We know this story well, I'm sure. Those of us who, who know the Bible have heard this story of Ananias and Sapphira. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now, we need to back up to Acts 4, right? In Acts chapter 4, we have the narrative that gives us the record of what was happening in the church at this time. So preceding Acts 5, you have the record of needs among God's people and then God's people in the church being being motivated to give to meet those needs. And you had some extreme things going on. You had people selling some very valuable possessions like real estate, piece of property. And then they would bring the entire amount that they had from the sale of the property. And the scripture tells us they put it at the apostles' feet, no strings attached. You use this to meet the needs of those people in the church who are destitute, who are needy. And so you you use it for that purpose." And people were doing that. Well, Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of property and they, they sold it, but their motives weren't right. They were deceptive, weren't they? However, Ananias kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. The idea here is, is that they deceived people probably because they wanted the notoriety of being sacrificial givers just like the people in Acts 4 had done. And so instead of being honest about it, they didn't give the whole part of the proceed. They they only gave just a part of it. They didn't give all of it, but they led people to believe that they had given all of it probably for some selfish, prideful motivation. And then Peter confronts this. He says, look, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Whoa, that's very straightforward. Only someone with the gift of prophecy is gonna tell it like that. They're going to tell it like it is, right? That's what someone with this gift does. And it's just, it's just, it's just out there, isn't it? You did this, this was wrong. And by the way, you haven't really lied to us. You've lied to God. Wow. That's the prophetic gift in action. And there are times when people are walking in error, especially in the faith community, where they need that kind of a confrontation. Straightforward to the point. Now, we understand what happens here, a very uh, harsh corrective measure was taken, right? This guy lost his life for this, we understand the story. And God makes a statement about how serious he takes the motivations found in the heart of people who claim to be Christians, and he wants purity there. And so Peter exposes this, and he calls it out, he calls it like it is, and there was a horrible price that had to be paid here as a result of their actions in Sapphira as well. But that is the prophetic gift in action. So we need to love someone enough to take the risk, right? To take the risk of confronting them, of exposing. And we need to do it to them. The one with the gift of prophecy should understand that. You shouldn't exercise the gift of prophecy with everybody else around the individual who has the issue. You go to the one who has the issue and you talk to them. That's the most effective way to, to practice your giftedness. Otherwise, you're just a tool of Satan if you do it any other way. You don't go around to others and, and do that. You you go to the one who needs the correction. Peter does that quite well here. One of the things that people with this gift need to stay in touch with, because this gift can can really be abused if, if people are not humble who practice it or who possess it and, and they don't remember their own frailty because uh, the, the temptation for those who have this giftedness is to always focus on what is wrong with everybody else without taking self-inventory, right? Peter had the ability to do that and we find that in the accurate self-assessment that seems to be given to us in Luke chapter Five, where Peter comes face to face with his own frailty and his own sinfulness. And he says to the Lord, he falls at Jesus' feet and says, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. Peter knew he had a problem. Peter understood that he too was, was very much a sinner. Now, uh, let's just for a moment, this reminds me of a passage. Let's go over to Galatians chapter six. Can you find Galatians six? Let me show you why this is so important, especially for those who possess the giftedness of prophecy, where you see what is wrong and you have to exercise your gift and go and and confront people and talk to people about what is wrong. Resisting the urge to, to refuse to see that you have anything wrong with yourself obviously brings a lot of pride. And you become a danger to the faith community instead of a help you become a hindrance and you can abuse your giftedness the passage like galatians 6 helps us keep all this in check can we go to verse 1 brothers and sisters if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing right the one with the gift of prophecy is going to see that real fast you who are spiritual restore such a person restore it doesn't say destroy them the prophetic gift can be very destructive if it's abused. You can end up destroying people, families, and whole churches if you're out to get revenge or even a score or just make sure everybody else knows what is wrong with somebody. All abuses of the giftedness. This verse tells us how to avoid that. Do this with a heart toward restoration and with a gentle spirit. We're going to get into this uh, deeper I believe it's tonight in our message on our life together as a church. But this idea of a focus on restoration and a gentleness of spirit and then watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted, all of these are good reminders for people with the gift of prophecy. They're good reminders for everybody, but especially those who are gifted with the gift of prophecy. This is how you keep it in check this is how you keep it from becoming an abuse and a hindrance to the church rather than a help. And we'll unpack the rest of this passage when we study it together in our Sunday night series. But Peter had a sense of this. He had a brokenness about him when it came to his own failure. And while that did not keep him from failing, we all know Peter struggled. It's very public. But we also know That he had a sense of his own failure and a sense of his own frailty before God and a brokenness and that's what God needs and that's what we need as we practice the gift of prophecy. We also will see that Peter is an example of utilizing the giftedness in a God-centered and God-glorifying way as in Acts chapter 3, and, and, and this too is a wonderful reminder for those with this, this gift. It's easy to get lifted up in pride with this gift, and so we need to understand and remind ourselves at all times that as we use the gift, it's for God's glory. And the way we use it should be in a God-centered way. It shouldn't be about personalities. It shouldn't be about winning arguments or debates, it should be God-centered. Beginning of verse 12 of Acts 3, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? Now, a miracle had been performed and Peter senses that there was some wrong thinking again with the gift of prophecy, some wrong thinking on a part of these people. Who really wanted to make much of the apostles. And Peter was in this group, and he he didn't want that because this would have been robbing glory from God. So he utilizes his giftedness of, of prophecy. And he says, Why are you staring at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? You're missing the boat. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate, here he goes, (laughs) speaking truth, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. It's not us. It's it's that man, Jesus, that you participated in killing. That's who performed this miracle. So the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. A good reminder for those with the gift of prophecy. It's all about God. It's not about you. And utilize your gift to defend the honor and the glory of God at the same time. That's what Peter does. Taking none of it for himself. None of it at all. He practices it flawlessly here in a God-centered, God-glorifying way. Our final example from Peter is found in Acts 4. It involves self-denial and holy boldness. Another good reminder for those with the gift of prophecy. Can we look at Acts 4? This is a lengthy passage, but we'll take the time to read it. The next day their rulers elders and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest Caiaphas John and Alexander and all the members of the high priestly family after they had Peter and John stand before him they asked the question by what power or in what name have you done this these miraculous things then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in response. After they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, "'What should we do with these men?' For an obvious sign evident to all who live in Jerusalem has been done through them, and we cannot deny it. However, so this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So how does someone with the gift of prophecy respond to that? Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Self-denial and holy boldness. They were not afraid of these who had the power to persecute them. And, of course, we know that they did to others as they ministered and preached the gospel. Peter, John were willing to pay that price. They were willing to face down the religious people of the day with the truth of Jesus and the gospel. And they practiced their gift in a way that brought God glory, a good reminder that especially when you open your mouth to speak truth, perhaps to those who don't want to hear it, there may be a price to pay. But the one with the prophetic gift does it in a way of self-denial and holy boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. In closing, let me leave you with a couple of thoughts. Good reminders concerning the gift. There is a difference between speaking the truth in love and judging someone hypocritically. Make sure that you know the difference before you speak. It ties in with that passage of Scripture where we're supposed to take the the log out of our own eye before we try to deal with the speck in someone else's eye. The one who has the gift of prophecy needs to wrestle with this as they use their gift. They need to make sure that they are maintaining personal purity and holiness before God so that their gift is not stunted but so that it's powerful among God's people and finally think on these things love and truth must be maintained in perfect balance truth is never to be abandoned in the name of love but love is not to be deposed in the name of truth truth without love has no decency it's just brutality On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It's just hypocrisy. Think on these things, especially if you have the gift of prophecy. And even if you don't, think of how the gift may benefit you and help you in your journey. And certainly encourage those who have the gift to use it for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for love and mercy and grace that are ours through Jesus. And thank you for the Holy Spirit, that comforter of the same kind as Jesus, that your Son asked you to send us so that we would not be orphans. Thank you for sending him. And thank you for his indwelling presence in all of us who believe. Help us now to relinquish complete control of ourselves to him. Help us to pursue and know what full dedication is, according to Romans 12. And help us to glorify you to the fullest with our giftedness and for the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen.